Did you know that OCD is more than just having intrusive thoughts about contamination or repetitive checking and cleaning? Even though the prevalence of OCD is similar for clients who are white and African-American, what are some of the structural barriers making it a challenge for African-American clients with OCD to seek treatment? And once in treatment, how do we acknowledge the important cultural practices of African-American clients while not dismissing a behavior as entirely OCD? Welcome to People of Color in Psychology, the show that explores mental health topics specific to culture, diversity, and communities of color. I am your host, Jack Sen. We have Dr. Moore as our guest today. She is a licensed psychologist in private practice and specializes in the treatment of OCD and other anxiety disorders. Dr. Moore has specialized training in evidence-based treatments, including exposure and response prevention, behavioral modification, acceptance and commitment therapy, and cognitive behavioral therapy. She has worked in numerous healthcare settings, ranging from inpatient hospitals, community clinics, in-home visits, and outpatient group practices. As an African-American psychologist, Dr. Moore will be sharing her ideas and experience for culturally responsive approaches in working with African-American clients who struggle with OCD and other anxiety disorders. Dr. Moore, thank you for joining me today. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, why don't you just share with us how did you come to get into this work of anxiety and OCD treatment? Yeah, I originally trained, I would say, from entering grad school, always through a cognitive behavioral therapy lens because I really liked the structure of that approach and the cognitive distortions, working on cognitive reframing, and really the behavioral component of just doing things to improve mood and to get behavioral change. And so that was always the foundation of how I started out this profession, working more as a generalist. But then as I you know, received more clients presenting with anxiety disorders and OCD, I just had a curiosity about it and really like getting into more training and understanding exposure therapy and response prevention. It was just an approach that really clicked with me. I think phobias and OCD is also very interesting as um, a diagnosis. And so I really, really enjoy working with a wide range of presentations that you can see even inside of like OCD and phobia. So it was really just a lot of curiosity mixed with really enjoying the treatment approach. Yeah. So really, even within OCD, you're saying there's ranges within that. Can you share a little bit uh, for our listeners who don't specialize in OCD, uh, what you have observed, as well as maybe some distinctions with the African-American clients who you've worked with, some of the common presentations that you've seen? Right. Well, first of all, just generally speaking about OCD for people who may not have as much experience or training working with it, we're talking about intrusive thoughts that people will have, images or urges that they feel that will generate some distress for them and they feel compelled to engage in some sort of behavior that we call a ritual or compulsion in order to prevent the negative outcome or alleviate that distress. And so when we are working with people who are presenting with this you know, OCD presentation, that's where we get the exposure and response prevention, which is the golden standard treatment for OCD. And like I said, the interesting part about that is that we get an opportunity to expose clients to what they are afraid of in like a, you know, 
sensitive graduated approach, of course, meeting the clients where they are, but pushing them and challenging them. And so it's just a great opportunity to get to see clients really become empowered throughout the course. And it doesn't really matter if it's OCD or a phobia or even like generalized anxiety, just seeing people live more inside of their values by, you know, enhancing their courage and being willing to sit with intrusions and sit with distress. So just generally speaking, that as an approach is just something that I think is pretty cool and pretty powerful to watch. Um, and as I said about different treatment presentations, I think most people are relatively familiar with the more popular presentations, which would be contamination-based OCD, they think germs, or order and symmetry with perfectionism, but there's like a whole host of other um, categories in which OCD can prevent, which can be like scrupulosity, that could be re in religion or morality. There could be harm-based OCD with more aggressive intrusions. There's OCD around relationships, OCD around sexuality, OCD around gender identification and sexual orientation. And so, like I said, OCD can really attach to any aspect of someone's life. And that's why I think it's really important to have this specialized training in OCD because there's a lot of things that are missed because of either misinformation or a lack of information about the disorder. Looks like there's so many different presentations that OCD can latch onto because as you mentioned, the typical... Uh, things that most people are familiar with is contamination, as well as just repetitive checking. Those are common ones, but you've mentioned things like scrupulosity. What is that? Scrupulosity occurs when someone is having OCD centered around their religious beliefs. And what would happen is, again, it can range. It could be that someone's doing something that might be blasphemous to their um, like higher order religious figure. It could be that they're not being religious enough. And so you can have compulsions in the form of excessive praying or excessive reassurance seeking from religious figures. And so, yeah, it's just basically the attachment of experiencing intrusive thoughts connected to religious content and then having compulsions in order to alleviate or prevent outcomes or distress. And in your work with uh, African-American clients, can you share with our audience who, who are mostly therapists, let's say they are not a person of color and they are working with uh, an African-American client with OCD, what are some important things that they should be looking for and how would they even bring up OCD with them? Yeah, I think it first starts with really understanding your client and doing really great assessments to better understand different aspects of a client's life and their presentation. We know, again, I understand that I'm speaking generally, and this is why it is important to check with your client because not everyone may share similar beliefs, but generally thinking about collectivist cultures, we know that the church can play a primary role in African-Americans experience. And this is historically traced throughout time, having this, the church be a safe place where people could go and gather and experience a sense of community uh, when the outside world was very harsh and aggressive um, towards the population of people. And so the church has a very significant role historically in African-Americans lives and even as of today. And so I think it's important to understand your client's connection to religion and the role that it will play in their lives. Because with scrupulosity, again, there is this intense focus on 
the religion having to be a certain way and the compulsion sort of reiterating how that religion is supposed to be in that person's life. And so in order to be able to accurately assess the OCD and be able to tell what's a compulsion versus what could be just like a natural part of someone's religious experience, you would want to be able to assess for that with a client. But I also think when working with a client who could have an OCD presentation, it would be important to get some feedback from experts in that field. So speaking to pastors, speaking to deacons, speaking to people who may be able to help you kind of understand what the relationship to praying could be so that we can determine what may be excessive or not. So asking a little bit more about the prayers, some of the standard prayer procedures or rituals. I'm curious, at what juncture would be considered deviation from uh, a normal uh, prayer experience where it counts towards uh, more of an OCD scrupulosity? And I think that's the fine line in which a lot of people will find themselves sort of stuck because we know people do pray when they feel guilty. People pray when they feel ashamed. People can pray for lots of different reasons. And that mm -hmm. could mirror some of the same reasons why people are praying inside of an OCD population. So again, assessment is key. However, if we can kind of tease apart speaking with religious leaders to understand, okay, if you look at your congregation, how many people are praying six hours a day, right? How many people are praying an hour a day? Because we have to understand what excessive behavior looks like. And OCD is part of its presentation. These behaviors are happening excessively. So we can see it. I don't think that there would be a pastor who would say you need to pray six hours a day. Um, I don't know, but I can't be 100% certain about that. But that seems a lot considering that people also have other responsibilities. And so when we're trying to tease out the OCD, we can look at excessive behaviors and maybe to a certain degree, again, understanding the CBT model of OCD, why they are engaging, engaging in this behavior. But I do want to get back to there could be lots of magical thinking in religion and also magical thinking in and OCD. And so I think that appropriate assessments and consultation will be useful here in understanding that you will get a better picture of the client over time. But if we keep our focus on what appears to be excessive or outside of the norm for even that, um, what is the expectation for, for the person, for other people in that religious practice? Yeah, I love that you're talking about really connecting with the support system around the client mm -hmm. from a collectivist viewpoint, how mm -hmm. we want to get the input of, hey, what are people around you? How are they practicing, um, say, spirituality? What's the, the standard there? I really like that. Looking beyond just the individual, uh, really incorporating their, their support system into this framework of the assessment piece. Absolutely. Yeah. Once therapist has done a reasonable enough assessment and they're moving into treatment, and I guess I'm also thinking about your your clients, the the folks you have been able to help with your ERP work. Do you have a sense of some just anecdotally from your client population? What are the most common uh, OCD presentations that you've noticed and how have you specifically worked with that specific presentation? Uh, can you share a little bit about that? 
Yeah, I think specifically when I'm treating clients who identify as Black or African American, some of the common presentations that I would come across would be harm, so worried that they may do harm to themselves or other people, um, and also contamination-based OCD, so issues around cleanliness, germs, um, yeah, so cleanliness and, and sort of like more violent obsessions. And I think that would be on par with what research supports as well. I'm actually curious about this just because thinking about, uh, you know, American history, also U.S. Black history, maybe some of the pressures or cultural nuances that we might need to consider when we're talking about these specific type of OCD presentations like harm, violence, as well as cleanliness. For instance, mm-hmm. uh, I was reading an article and it was mentioned how African-Americans have this, they've been pressured to have to be perceived as clean. And so there's mm-hmm. this excess pressure from the society that is right. maybe reinforcing some of this contamination-related symptoms. Right. I'm wondering just if you had any additional thoughts or considerations from your work and thinking about the, the the cultural experience of African-Americans and how that ties into, say, the the harm OCD as well as the contamination piece. Yeah, well, I think as you stated, historically, there was pressure to be seen a certain way when in public, right? Always having to be sort of dressed up and buttoned up in a way that maybe white people didn't have to. And so I think as a result of that, wanting to be presented and seeming, you know, to be acceptable would have been a big thing as we kind of progress through time. And so also the perception of being seen is like violent and then uh, wanting to being labeled as violent, I guess you can say, and then kind of wanting to not be perceived as that and that contributing to a lot of more harm and aggressive based intrusion. So I think there's that labeling in historical context that could perpetuate those OCD presentations. Now, obviously, I do think it's probably a lot more than that, but I think if we had to kind of look at the history of that, we can understand having to appear a certain way and being labeled a certain way would make sense. And specifically, when we also consider that OCD often hits on a values level, right? And so if something is really important to someone at that point in time, OCD can have a tendency to attach to that thing. And so in, a, in, in the grand scheme of historical context, that could be one reason why OCD has a tendency to attach to those specific presentations. Once we're exploring this and, and identifying some of the historical context, as well as the environmental pressures that African-American clients face, can you say, how might a therapist work through that? Are there any tips? Because I would imagine for therapists who are not African-American or aren't people of color may have a little bit of trepidation in addressing race issues. And I'm wondering, how would they go about being compassionate, understanding, and work with this nuance in OCD treatment? Well, yeah, I think, first of all, just speaking more broadly, not even about these specific presentations, I think to start, it would be helpful to really take cultural competency into consideration and really understanding the barriers to treatment before we even get into the specific treatment. We want to understand the Mm -hmm. barriers to treatment 
just generally speaking to begin with, right? So really understanding how the cost of treatment could impact someone or the fear of judgment um, and, and just thinking that maybe this therapy really doesn't work, right? Or there's this idea that we just kind of power through, you know, like the you got it attitude. I don't need help with this. Um, I should just be able to power through this and get over it. Even thinking about you know, things like how is your office located in a way that is really able to serve the community? When we talk about it from a transportation standpoint, people being worried that they may not get the right treatment or that they may get put with therapist who is completely culturally insensitive and not competent. And therefore having one of those experiences could be really significant when there's already a stigma for seeking treatment in the first place. So I think first we would just want to consider those barriers to treatment and really understanding your client from that perspective. Yeah, so okay. you're addressing the the structural piece of location of the clinic, understanding really the struggles that they faced prior to even entering your office. Right. Yes, absolutely. You want to understand yeah. that. And again, like I have to say, not to generalize, but again, we have to consider that these are actual, what can I say, stressors that would impact a community, just really even understanding the societal issues that African Americans deal with and how that could contribute to seeking therapy from racism and discrimination. And we talked about the economic stressors. And so, yeah, I think that that would be a, a great place to start is just understanding the barriers and making sure that your specific assessment can address those and that you are addressing those. It's not to say that every African-American client is going to present with those, but it's something that you definitely want to be addressing from a cultural sensitivity and cultural competency standpoint. I love that we're talking about cultural competency. How would you define cultural competence? For me, cultural competence is asking when you don't know versus assuming, even seeking out, there may be like an OCD presentation, I'm going to go on a tangent of an example. We may, an example that I can give is working with someone and let's just say they're having some presence, some, an OCD presentation, there's lots of rigidity, perfectionism, compulsion surrounding hair, right? And so someone may want to assume that everything that goes inside of that presentation, right, may just be a compulsion. And so they'll say, you know, I have a saying that OCD will OCD, and they may take that approach and just be like, oh, the amount of money you spend is all about um, OCD. It's a compulsion. Or constantly changing your hairstyle is a compulsion. Or, you know, how people will play with their hair as a compulsion without understanding that historically and legitimately, hair textures are different. There's been a significance placed on hair in the African-American community. And so to isolate the history and the understanding of how black hair works and just assume all of that would be OCT, OCD would be a disservice to the client. And so part of being like culturally competent and culturally sensitive would be to listen to the client about their own experience, right? So we can have part of this be like the logistics of hair and then get the understanding of how OCD manipulates that. But it also may require you to go and consult with some um, experts who do hair, right? Like talk to some like hairstylists to get a better understanding of hair in the African-American community. I think that those are things that as therapists, we could be willing to do to better meet the needs of our clients if we don't have that understanding and training. Wow. So you're saying 
really don't just scapegoat the OCD saying, oh, this this hair, excessive time spent trying to rearrange or work on your hair is due to OCD, but actually look at, wait, it may not be the OCD. I mean, it might be something else or an interaction of the two. Or an interaction of the two, because it still could be the OCD, right? I like to operate inside of the end. It could be the OCD and there could very much so be this mm. real logistical component to it. So let's try to understand the logistical component to it and then understand how OCD interacts with that. Because I think from a response prevention standpoint, if I can get like, okay, I have some understanding of when people wash, how people wash, why people, you know, wear protective styles, why people spend as much money. Like I have some sort of understanding of that. That allows me to now be able to, again, assess for and look for that excessive behavior that we would be talking about as far as a compulsion is concerned and working with the client to be able to identify that as well. And to stay close to your training. Um, a lot of times, you know, we get to choose what we want to continue to train in. And there may be some states that have requirements when it comes to cultural competency, but I always recommend going above and beyond what is recommended per your state, especially if you are treating clients from diverse populations. We wanna make sure that we are increasing the likelihood that our clients will stick with us and not prematurely terminate because they just don't feel comfortable with you as a provider or with your ability to help them meet their treatment goals. Yeah, I, I really love what you just said there. And taking that extra effort going beyond and ensuring that you really are doing the best for your client. Because um, sometimes there is this mentality of, I met the requirements, I did the checkbox and it's done. It's, uh, I think it's more performative uh, as opposed yeah. to, hey, I this is an active thing that I'm generally interested in uh, and yeah. honing in my skills and developing my cultural competence. Absolutely. I agree with that. And I think as the field sort of promotes this idea that we want to be culturally competent providers, eventually, if we are really saying this is what we believe and this is a value of ours as a profession, we should start seeing this reflected in leadership positions, in the amount of students admitted to graduate school programs, in the amount of diverse providers that we have. And if we aren't seeing that sort of broaden in those different areas, we would have to ask ourselves, why is it that we are promoting this cultural competency and sort of being more inclusive to attain more providers and to attain more clients, but it is absolutely still not being reflected in the actual outcome. Yeah, well, Dr. Moore, thank you very much for, for sharing this. Now, I was wondering, are there any other recommendations you would give to therapists who work with clients who are African-American or Black and struggle with OCD? Yeah, so like I said, outside of um, understanding the barriers to treatment and trying to find a way to appropriately address that with your clients, I think that specifically with OCD, I'm going to go pretty broad here. We do our clients the best service when we can acknowledge where our strengths are and where our weaknesses are. And I think that it's really important with a presentation like OCD to be trained to treat an obsessive compulsive disorder because there's a lot of misinformation, there's a lack of information. And I just think that sometimes when we can't appropriately identify OCD and we really don't know how to treat, treat it, we end up costing our clients a lot more in you know, financial resources, but also in the amount of time that they're spent struggling with this disorder. 
And so I think just being sort of honest about what we can do and what we can't do and referring out when we just don't know, right? So I think that that's something we can do. I think another thing that we can do is include more African-Americans in OCD research and clinical trials. Because when you think about it, we do make up 13% of the population, but we are only represented in like 2% of the OCD trials. So if we really want to talk about how we can advance support for the community, we would want to be more inclusive in research and in OCD trials. Any insights to how we can go about being more inclusive? Because I know one of the challenges is that most of the research is being conducted on college campuses. And so we're also thinking about access to education, also the student population percentages. So how might we create a more inclusive atmosphere? Any thoughts? I think that's an important point to bring up, like who is actually seeking services to begin with. And I think that stat is like 25% of African-Americans seek therapy in comparison to 40% of whites. And then when we even, you know, consider it from a research perspective of college campuses, that further shows us the discrepancy in research and even in treatment. And particularly when we talk about OCD, OCD impacts every group of people equally. But for certain, there are groups of people who are underrepresented, again, in the research. And so I think that some things that we can do to broaden this out and be more inclusive would be to, uh, like, one, um, have culturally competent assessments, right? And so, like, a lot of times people will have this mistrust historically on seeking out treatment. Um, either they don't trust the providers, they don't believe therapy will work, and we've really been conditioned to use the church as our source of support. And so this idea is why go to therapy when you can pray about it and give it over to the Lord and seek out your pastor. And although we can acknowledge pastors are great, they are also not trained as mental health providers. And so we would want clients to know that there's a place for therapy for them. And I think a lot of that can start with how we are promoting therapy, starting with research perspectives and how we seek out clients to be included in research. And then when we get there, how we are assessing them, what our measures, how our measures are making people feel. So I think it all kind of goes back to culturally competency and having appropriate measures given by well-trained people who understand how to be culturally competent. As a psychologist, what, what is one thing you learned that you didn't expect? One thing that I learned that I did not expect, yeah. I think that I will say uh, as well, <laughs> Sometimes I laugh and say that hidden year. <laughs> there. Like, we're like, oh, there's this postdoc year. Yes. It's hard to know that when you are coming fresh out of, you know, undergrad, what that journey actually looks like, because so much of the focus could be put on getting into a graduate school and internship that not a lot of focus goes to postdocs. So I'm always telling people, do not be surprised by that hidden year. Um, also, what I've learned is, I mean, when you are in it as a BIPOC provider, like an, I'll just say as an African-American provider, it really is eye-opening how few of us there are, like how you really don't see yourself reflected in your professors, your, your like supervisors, your mentors, even in your classmates, the people who you train with. Like you are often one of the only people, if not the only 
person in the room that is black and so obviously you can say intellectually you know that but to experience it in your lived experience it's just like wow um and then especially if you even go sharper deeper into that and look at being someone who identifies as an ERP specialist and what that stat is like what like 0.065% of clinicians in the US report being an ERP specialist and think about how many people of color that would be and then think about how many black providers that would be like super rare and so when we think about again how many people are impacted by OCD and if you're like, oh, I'm having a mistrust of providers who identify as white or who are white, how do I find a specialist who is black? It can seem pretty daunting. Like it really, really can. Um, and then broaden that out, what 23% of therapists in the US are BIPOC providers. So there's just that, those stats just show us how low that number is and how much advancement needs to happen in the field. Now, I, I'm gonna ask a, a potentially tough question here. And this can also be a question to help help people connect and find support and understand that we are going through this unified process in terms of our career development. And that is, in your career as a person of color, what were some challenges that you faced and overcame that you would be willing to share? Well, I think one thing that stands out to me when I attempt to answer this question is just always being worried about names on applications for practical placements, right? And so having a name that is easily associated with being Black or African American, if in some practices that automatically sort of your application tossed to the side when you see other people getting tons and tons of interviews and you're like wow you know I don't seem to get as many interviews as other people and kind of questioning why that can be the case when we know people have done research studies in lots of different areas of life in understanding how things can automatically exclude you like a name so that's one thing that I'm always curious about and it's unless you switch your name it's hard to prove but I think I trust that I know that that is likely mm -hmm. happened in the course of my graduate studies. I think another thing that I think about is just lack of seeing professors who look like me, lack of options to have mentors who look like me. I can only recall having one professor who identified as Black in my whole graduate experience. I don't even recall any mentors in any of my practicas or on internship is often one of the only black people in the room. I can't even recall ever going to school with or training with a black male ever. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just think about those limitations as well. And then when we, when I talk about mentorship and professors, another experience that stands out to me is having a professor who wasn't born in the United States and didn't quite understand historical context of things. And so there would be moments in class where we would discuss something like racism. And this specific professor would absolutely take, um, I don't understand what the issue is in this, in this country that happened so long ago, everyone get over it. And why that's oh important to me, yeah, why that's important to me is you're teaching future generations of psychologists to get over, get over it. How does that translate to being client-facing? 
if we're saying your history doesn't really matter, you just need to get over it. And I don't understand why everyone's so bent out of shape on this history of oppression that <laughs> that Black people experience or African Americans experience. I'll be clear on that term. Um, talking in this context because we were talking about African American populations, and so just to get over it. And as if we still don't deal with some of the ramifications of that today, I think that that absolutely does a disservice to the students that um, are being taught. And being, again, the only African-American in the class, it definitely doesn't make you feel great when a professor is speaking that way um, about your historical experience. Gosh, I, I, I'm in shock because I can't believe a uh, a professor whatever say such a thing and so i'm really sorry that that happened uh i think it also speaks to as you're mentioning which is how do we create systems where we are hiring people who are culturally sensitive who are actively talking about race issues talking about you know how to be culturally competent mm -hmm. and, and yeah that is one of the reason started this podcast is just due to the general lack of re representation amongst mm -hmm. people of color in psychology. Well, Dr. Moore, thank you very much. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? My website is www.drshmikamore.com. If anyone's interested in reaching out to me, you can find me there. And you can also find me at my Instagram account. Um, it's called Jam Sessions. And so that's going to be J-A-M under session, S-E-S-S-I-O-N-Z. Um, I think that was what was available at the time. So jam sessions where I share mental health related content. So yeah, I would love for people to look me up and if you would like to consult or anything like that. Well, Dr. Moore, thank you very much for joining me today and sharing your insight. Uh, we really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you very much for having me and the work that you're doing with this podcast. A huge thank you to our listeners. If you like what you've heard, please share and subscribe to our podcast, People of Color in Psychology.